Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. If you've been watching the show in recent weeks, we have been really urging you to start reading your Bible every single day. And you might wonder, well, how do I do that? Where do I start? What do I read? How do I understand it? So I thought we'd bring in an expert. We interviewed him some time ago, Dr. Peter Vogt. Hi, Peter. Hi. He is the dean over the seminary of Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're just going to, he's kind of an expert in how, how do you interpret the Bible. And so we're gonna, just going to ask him questions. And hi, Peter. Now, Peter, let's say somebody rarely reads their Bible and they yep. really want to start reading it every day. Sure. Should they start Genesis chapter 1 or New Testament, Matthew chapter 1? What would you suggest? I think it kind of depends on sort of where they are in their understanding of things. Uh, I. I'm an Old Testament scholar, so I, I love the Old Testament. Starting in Genesis is a, is a great thing to do. It uh, lays out what we call the big story of Scripture, begins in, in Genesis. So you get a, an understanding of what is happening throughout the whole of the Bible, starting in Genesis. On the other hand, for a lot of people, that's really daunting to, to do. So starting in, in Matthew can be a, a good place to... A good place so to begin. all the way through the New Testament, then the Old Testament? Then do the Old Testament. Okay. So I, I think either one can be an appropriate uh, okay. approach, depending on where someone's comfort level. But the most important thing is to do it. Right. And what Bible version do you like? I like the NIV, but there are lots of, of good ones. The ESV is excellent uh, as well. So there's, there's lots of good translations. Is there any good Bible commentaries to help people understand the Bible that you'd recommend? Sure. Well, there's, again, a, a whole host of them. Yeah. Uh, I think for a lot of folks, the uh, New Bible Commentary is a one-volume yep. commentary, which is excellent. Yes, it is. It's very accessible. There's the Expositor's Bible Commentary. That's just been recently redone. Mm -hmm. That's a little more in-depth. That's 12 yep. volumes covering the whole, uh, the whole Bible. And then, of course, there's the, the one-volume per book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. and those get really deep and technical, yep. which are, are excellent. Um, there's not a single series I can recommend on that though because they tend to be sometimes there's there's one that's really good in a particular series and yeah. one that might not be as good well so I this is this is called the ESV study Bible and that's a great everybody. resource and what's great about this is the ESV is very exact very exact translation but at the bottom of each page are study notes explaining the hard verses right so the, the ESV English Standard Version study Bible is what I highly recommend yep all right so let's get into how do I understand how do I interpret the Bible and what if somebody's watching who's uh, says, well, I don't interpret the Bible. I just read it and believe it. Yeah. We don't need to interpret it. I'm just a Bible believer who just reads it and believes it. What do you say to that person? Well, the fact is there's no such thing as any communication without interpretation. Uh, an example I use with my students is uh, if, if I were to say to you, Tom, I like dogs better than my wife, what do I mean by that? Do I mean that I have marital problems or do it mean that I like dogs better than my wife does? Maybe she didn't grow up with pets. Uh, so so how do we... You gotta interpret it, right? You gotta interpret it. What's you, up on the road? 
ahead. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's no such thing as, as any communication without interpretation. We use idioms. Uh, so what, how do we interpret an, an idiom? We use so expressions, slang, all these sorts of things. When, and the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son, for example, when the son sees the, I'm sorry, when the father sees the son coming from far off, it says he went to him. And I can't remember it's, if it's ESV or one of the translations. Fine, it's a fine translation, but it says he, he saw him and he fell on his neck. Well, you know, you might hear that and say, well, was that a wrestling move? Was he, was he angry? <laughs> of course, that's not what it means. It means right. he hugged him. But yep. the, the words suggest that he yep. fell on his neck. Yep. And that's interpretation. Uh -huh. we, we can't understand what's going on there without interpreting. We do this all the time in regular conversation. If I tell a joke to you uh -huh. or I use sarcasm or any number of things, that's, we, we know what's happening by virtue of interpretation. Yes. The same thing is true when we read yeah. the Bible. And, and you know, uh, you're a conservative Christian and so am I. And do we take the Bible literally? Well, overwhelmingly we do. But that doesn't mean that when it says the trees shouted for joy, that some kind of, you know, uh, ex expressive language wasn't sure. going on. Or the sun rises. Yeah. The, we don't have to assume that there's some... You know, we know that the sun doesn't rise. Right. The we, earth turns on its axis. There you go. But that's okay because it's about communication. Right. All right. So, Peter, what, as I, let's say you're going to, our viewers are all going to start reading their Bible every day, and Good. I know they will. Yes. Um, are there some general principles, when I pick up the Bible and start, we'll say, with Matthew chapter 1. Sure. Some general principles I should know about how to understand the Bible properly. Sure. I'd say the first and most important thing to keep in mind is you, you, you have to ask the question, what did the original author intend to communicate to the original audience? The original author is the one who's inspired by God. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. Mm -hmm. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Mm -hmm. But God didn't just drop the, the 66 books of the Bible from heaven in, in a completed form. He worked through the people who, yep. who wrote it. He worked through their personalities. Mm -hmm. He worked through their vocabularies. It's communicated in a particular time and in a particular place with a, a particular worldview, none of which are, are things that we have direct access to today. So I think it's fair to say, first of all, not a single word of, of the Bible was written specifically with 21st century Americans in mind. Absolutely. I hope we can have uh, agreement on that. Indeed. Uh, so what does that mean? We have, to, we have to start thinking, how do we approach this then? It, it is relevant for us today, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but how do we approach that? And one of the most important things we can do is say, what did the original author intend to communicate to the original audience? Right. That helps us make sure we're asking the right questions Good. of the text. Let's how do they understand words? Let's give a specific. Sure. Can I, as a New Testament Christian, eat pork? Yes. Explain to me, because the Old Testament says you're not supposed to eat pork if sure. you're going to follow God. So how come I can eat pork and the Old Testament Jews couldn't? Sure. Well, we could spend the whole time on that one issue. We could do several episodes on, on that issue. Or the Sabbath. You have to worship issue. on Saturday because sure. the right. Old Testament says that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the key thing when it comes to issues of Old Testament law is, again, first of all, starting out with the question, what did the original author intend to communicate to the original audience? What was the purpose for which these things were, were written? And, and so we start with that when it comes to, to that. So why, why the food laws? The food laws aren't actually about food. They're actually about people. Um, and we know this from a whole, a, a lot of ways, but one of the ways that we know this is that God allows, for example, Gentiles, non-Jews, to eat 
the, the foods that are declared to be unclean in Scripture, the non-kosher foods. If God is the God of all people and cares about all people, surely it can't be about hygiene or, or that sort of thing because he, he would be then saying, I don't care if these people live or die. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not about that, it's about food. We actually see this in Acts chapter 10 as well. Yeah, when where God undoes it, kind of. God undoes it, yeah. and, but what happens? Peter has this vision where all these animals are on the sheet and, and are laid down before him, and God says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, I won't eat anything unclean. Mm -hmm. And God says, don't, declare, don't call anything unclean that I've declared clean. What happens next? It's not that the, a servant comes with some bacon-wrapped scallops and, and Peter then says, oh, great, I can eat this. What happens? A Gentile comes to him and says, will you come and teach us? And Peter says, okay, that vision tells me that it's okay. So why is it okay? What happened? Yeah. The purpose of the food laws in the Old Testament is simply about separation. Making to, the Jews unique. Making the Jews unique so that they, are, they eat as Israelites. They yeah. eat as the people of God. Right. And so all the things that are about separation, the clothing made of two types of fabric, these are things that are about reminding the Israelites so that as they live their lives yep. day by day, yep. they're constantly doing it as the people of God. So I, I think the Seventh-day Adventists are wrong when they insist we worship on Saturday because that's the way the Old Testament Jews were told to worship. And they're also into the food laws. Well, you know, we're also supposed to kill lambs when we sin. Yep. Uh, we don't do that anymore because Jesus, sure. the Lamb of God. So there's a number. How do you know, Peter, what of the Old Testament I'm still obligated to keep yep. and what has been fulfilled and done away with? How yeah. do you know which is which? Well, there's not a, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. It, we have to do the work of interpretation. We have to think carefully about it and ask ourselves the question. When we come across a particular law, we have to ask ourselves the question and say, how is this relevant for me in light of Jesus' death and his ministry, his death and resurrection and, and exaltation? Notice I didn't say, is the law relevant for me? I said, how is the law relevant for me? Because my assumption is that a lot of it is relevant when it's properly understood. Now, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist. I mm -hmm. think they're wrong as well mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. ways. But I do think the law gives us a picture of how we're supposed to live in light of the fact that we're in relationship with a holy God. Overwhelmingly. Exactly. But some of those specifics have been fulfilled. Exactly. And right. so we have to then do our homework and yeah. say, okay, so with the food laws, for example, Jesus, he declares all foods clean. Why is that? Mark 7. Because he's, yeah. he's eliminated that distinction between Jew and Gentile yeah. uh, in he's him. He's come so to now, do a new thing. That's right. Yeah. Everybody identifies, the, the distinction isn't Jew or Gentile, yeah. it's follower of Jesus or non-follower of Jesus. Right. So it's a, it's a different so category. So your point is when you read the Old Testament and it tells you to kill a lamb if you sin and go to the temple, well, you can't go to the temple, it doesn't exist anymore. Or if you read you can't eat, have a hot dog because it's pork, well, that was given specifically to the Old Testament Jews. It's specifically to the Old Testament Jews for a particular purpose, and that purpose is no longer valid for right. today. Okay. Other laws, the purpose still is valid uh -huh. for today. Now I'm going to just ask you kind of a hard one. Sure. Interpreting the Bible. Yep. You know, you, you have a heartbroken mother and father who raised their child to be a Christian. Now she's 30 years old, living with her boyfriend on drugs, you know, you fell in the blank. But the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What happened here, uh, uh, Dr. Volt? What, what's going on there? Sure. How, how do you answer that yeah. one? Yeah. There again, we go back to what I said in the beginning, asking the question, what did the original author intend to communicate to the original audience? The Proverbs 
are not written as laws. They're not written as, as guarantees. They're general principles, general truths about things, and sometimes they conflict. We see this, by the way, in contemporary society as well. We have, you know, many hands make light work, but too many cooks spoil the broth, <laughs> right? So you got- You got you both have, truths. You got both truths. Yeah. Now, do we say that those truths are in conflict with each other? No, because they're not universal laws. Right. They're general principles. Yeah. The same thing is true when it comes to the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and Proverbs fall into that. Yeah. It's generally true that if you, you train a child in the way that they should go, when they're grown, they're gonna, they're gonna follow that. But it's and, not a guarantee. And you know what, what I learned in seminary, Proverbs are the general principles that are normally true, Yes. but Job is the exception. For instance, yes. Proverbs says, do good and you'll be blessed. Right. Job says, not necessarily. He yes. did good and wasn't blessed. That's right. <laughs> so there are exceptions to Absolutely. the general. So, but how do you interpret the scripture for a grandma who's worried about her granddaughter? You know, we trained you in the Lord. Does that verse mean they'll come to the Lord before they die? I mean, not necessarily. Okay. I think it means that it's it, what I think the author is doing there is saying, don't neglect the importance of passing faith on to the next generation. Uh -huh. It matters. Uh -huh. uh, and, and that's true. That's absolutely true for today. Yeah. Um, but it's not a guarantee. So you keep praying for that person. You keep, you, you, you keep seeking to train them uh, in hopes that they will turn back to the Lord or turn to the Lord for the first time. Okay. You're a Baptist. Are you a Baptist? I am a Baptist. And I'm a Lutheran. Yes. What do you do with the fact that you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? So do I. But you have one understanding of, we'll say, baptism, and I have sure. a different one. Or, yeah. you know, somebody has yeah. a, an understanding about communion or a different understanding about predestination. Sure. You know, if, why is all there, this confusion going? I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, I think it's a reflection of the fact that what I was saying about the nature of Scripture, that it's not... It, it's, it's enculturated, we say. In other words, it's, it's written to a particular people in a particular time, and so it's addressing certain questions that they had. Mm -hmm. It's also, uh, it's complex. You know, what we would expect that of, a, of an infinite and holy and righteous God, that it's going to be complex. He's not going to be easily and perfectly understood, mm -hmm. yet he reveals himself so that we can understand him. Mm -hmm. So we, we do our best to understand things. I think humility is an important aspect when it comes to uh, the interpretation of Scripture. Sometimes we hold certain views because it's what we were taught as opposed to yeah. our own searching of the yeah. Scriptures. Yeah. Of course, you know, you're, you're a faithful student of Scripture and so am I, uh -huh. and we've come to different conclusions on, yeah. say, something like baptism. Yeah. So what do we do with that? I would say I can recognize that Scripture can be interpreted different ways. It's, it's where you start from, what questions you're asking determine to some degree what conclusions we come to. And we may have different starting points when right. it comes to looking at that particular issue. But you and I believe in the Trinity. Yep. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in salvation by grace alone, the atonement and Absolutely. resurrection. I think on the big things, Christians agree. That's right. But on the, the other stuff, I mean, Paul the Apostle himself said, yep. now I know in part, then heaven, exactly. I shall understand fully. Exactly. And you know, so, and, and I would say to our viewers, don't major in the minors. Yes. P some people are, are upset with me because I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Right. Because I don't think it's biblical. Right. They're convinced it's 100% biblical. Right. Well, okay, let's agree to disagree. Right. It's not affecting our salvation. And I think one of the ways we can do that is uh, to apply what we might call theological triage, uh, and that is uh. to, to look at what are those things that, that, 
define what it means to be a Christian. That is, if you disagree with something like the Trinity, you might be a good person, but you're no longer a Christian. You're something else at that point. On the other hand, our stance on baptism doesn't determine whether no. we're Christians. No. It, might, it might mean how we work together. So when I was the pastor of a Baptist church, for example, we said that members had to be Baptists. Believer, mm -hmm. They had to agree with believer's baptism, had to have experienced believer's baptism. Doesn't mean that I think that you are not a faithful Christian mm -hmm. or that we couldn't work together in some ways, right, right. but you couldn't be a, 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 a member, member of, of my church. church. Yeah. Doesn't mean we couldn't work together in yeah. some ways. So those are, there's the primary order of things mm -hmm. that define Christians, then there's the secondary orders that yeah. are some of the distinctives, I, then there's the third order that are opinions. Well, here's the other th weird thing. Uh, for many years, I was in the liberal branch of Lutheranism, the ELCA. I had more in common theologically with my conservative Baptist brothers than I did with my sure. liberal Lutheran bishop. Yep. I mean, I had fellowship with the Baptists. Sure. The, the liberal Lutheran bishop who just was pro-abortion rights, et cetera, I mean, there was no... Sure. So, I mean, it, so, yeah, to me the core is... Uh, the. You and I probably agree on about 95% of things, I'm guessing. I would imagine. Um, yeah. But, uh, okay, so, you know, so, so go, going back to the law, because you, you, his expertise is the New Old Testament, which we call the law, which is God's law, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give you what Luther believed, and you tell me if you tweak this or sure. change it. Luther believed there were, were two, maybe three, purposes of God's law. One is to keep order in society. So even if you're a pagan and you don't know God, he's put his laws on our hearts. It's in atheistic red China, it's still wrong to steal and kill. Mm -hmm. So the first purpose of God's law is to keep order. Second purpose of God's law is to show us our sin and drive us to Christ. Mm -hmm. And then the third use of the law, and some Lutherans disagree on this, is once you're saved and mm -hmm. come to Christ, it's a guide for how to live your life. Right. Would you tweak any of that? or Because you had something called a hermeneutical understanding of the law. So why don't right. you explain that sure. for us? Yeah, well, certainly I wouldn't disagree with what Luther's saying about those two purposes. I would see a third, the, the, the third purpose of the law as being important. Okay. So to the extent that Luther um, rejects that, I would respectfully disagree. Uh, uh, actually, I don't know that he did. Yeah. One of my professors did. One of my <laughs> professors said, if the second use of the law does its work, you yeah. don't need the third use of the law. <laughs> that was his purpose. But okay. we'll go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So my approach to, to law is what's called a, a paradigmatic approach to law. And that is that the law gives us, it, it does those first two things, mm -hmm. but it, it also helps us to understand how do we live out relationship with God? Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, it was originally addressed to Israelites. So we have to ask that question. I don't, I don't sacrifice animals in my backyard. Right. I wear clothing made of two types of fabric, yep. I, you know, these sorts of things. But I do think the law is relevant in helping me understand how can I live out my life in, even in the 21st century in a way that's, that's God-honoring. It provides a paradigm for, for doing that. And just as a paradigm isn't isn't meant to be directly applied in every other situation, but it tells you how, it, it shows you the rules, so to speak, that can be applied in those different situations. The law does that. Okay. Uh, it functions in that okay, sort of yeah. way. So that's the third use of the law. Essentially the third, the uh, third use Lutheran of the law. In Lutheran terms. Yep. What well, about, or Calvinists. Uh, uh, yeah. What about this, Peter? Sometimes you read the, old, the New Testament and it quotes something from the Old Testament saying, Jesus fulfilled this. Yep. Like out of Egypt, I called my son when the baby Jesus was brought out of Egypt back right. to Israel. But yep. then you read that verse in the Old Testament, 
And he's talking about God bringing the Jews right. out of Egypt. Yeah. And sometimes it looks like, you know, what's going on here? Sure. What, what is that going on? Well, it's challenging because, yeah. you know, sometimes the New Testament authors seem to be doing things that we don't, we don't fully understand. Uh -huh. So there again, that humility matters uh -huh. to say, you know, I don't, I don't always know exactly 100% what's going on here. Uh, that's not true in most cases, but in, in some challenging things. Yeah. What I would say is in those situations, we look at what the original author, so the author of Hosea, what is, what is the author of Hosea doing? Um, and that author is establishing a pattern, uh, a, what we call sometimes a pattern of meaning. And that pattern of meaning can be applied in different situations later on. And I think that's what sometimes the New Testament authors are doing. So in Hosea, when, when it talks about out of Egypt I will call my son, God is saying that he's going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt in a, in a moment when the, the people of God were in a dire situation. God was going to intervene dramatically on their behalf and, and act decisively to, to save them. And he does so in, in the Exodus. The pattern, that's, so that's establishing a pattern. The, of course, with Jesus, he is the, you know, humanity is facing dire situation and, and God is going to act in a decisive mm -hmm. way in order to, to do that. And, and by bringing, by Jesus coming and going to Egypt and coming out of Egypt, he is in a sense showing that he is the, the greater fulfillment right. of what so Hosea was talking about. I think it's okay to say sometimes there's double fulfillments. Is, do you think that? I'm a little less comfortable with that language, okay. though I, I guess I wouldn't want to die on well, that Well, I mean, for instance, when a virgin shall conceive and bear a son is from Isaiah, probably talking about a certain woman back in his time yep. that would, uh, a virgin would then have right. sex and become a mother, and, and then by that time a certain king will come out or whatever. Right. Yep. And then, but, uh, but in the New Testament it's quoted and applied to Jesus. Yes. So to me, that looks like a double fulfillment. I mean, what would you... Yeah. How, what, well, again, what, I, would, I would focus on the pattern that's established. The, the pattern is that there's going to be this dramatic... Um, this, this virgin in Isaiah's day, uh, who's not a virgin at the time of the birth of the, of the child, uh -huh. uh, is a sign that God is going to act on behalf of his, on behalf of his people. Okay. Uh, so Jesus isn't a sign. He is the God acting on behalf. So mm -hmm. he's the sign, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God with us. And so I, I guess I wouldn't want to split hairs on terminology. Okay. It's, it, okay. we're, it sounds like we're not far off from, okay. from what we're saying. Yeah. Um, I guess where I get a little cautious of talking about double fulfillment is uh, I'd want to ground it in that pattern, that, mm -hmm. that pattern of meaning that the original author established. When, when they quote that this was Jesus' bones not being broken, this is to fulfill the prophecy, not a bone of him shall be broken. And then you read that in the original Old Testament, it doesn't seem like it's talking about the Christ directly, does it? Right. It's And, and there again, we we have to remember scripture is written to particular audiences to, to communicate it to them. Let me just jump back to the Isaiah passage for a uh -huh. second. When, when Isaiah is, is speaking to the king and saying, you know, I'm going to give you a sign. You're supposed to ask for a sign. And the king says, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. He says, well, then I'm going to give you a sign. Uh -huh. And he says, there's going to be a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. And the child is going to right from wrong while he's still eating baby food. Right. Um, but before he's eating, done eating baby food, uh, the kings that you're worried about are going to be gone. Yeah. If that's directly referring to Jesus, he's saying then, you know, you've got this problem, you've got these kings, and he's ready to sell out in order to, to so save himself from these, 
uh, these kings. He says, you got this problem, and several hundred years in the future, there's going to be a baby born, and before that child is uh, old enough to eat regular food, you know, he's going to know right from wrong, and, this, and these kings are going to be gone. That's no help to him whatsoever. So it's, it's speaking to that moment, yeah. uh, but it's also as I say, establishing a pattern uh-huh. that's relevant for subsequent times when God is acting in similar ways in similar situation, usually a greater uh, situation. Fulfillment has a sense of filling out in Scripture. It, to me, the clearest, most miraculous prophecies of Christ are Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, mm-hmm. where it talks about a man having his hands and feet pierced hundreds of years before a crucifixion was right. invented. To me, that shows that some of these prophecies are more direct and powerful. Yep. Some are more like a double fulfillment of something kind of got fulfilled sure. in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and and as to me this, Luke chapters 1 and 2 talks about the Lord a lot, and it's always a reference to the God, God the Father. And yep. then the angel says, He shall be born for you, Christ the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then this happens where an Old Testament verse that applied that a, applied to the Old Testament God mm-hmm. is re, is quoted and applied to Jesus in the mm-hmm. New Testament. And that happens kind of a lot. Yeah. Which I think is the implication is Jesus is God. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, I think Jesus is God, but also implies that God is a trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has always existed mm-hmm. as a triune mm-hmm. uh, a triune being. Yeah. And so and, and there again, I think to we we set ourselves up for challenges or, or failure if we start asking the wrong questions of the text. So right. when we when we start saying, you know, we, we can't expect the Old Testament authors, for example, to be very precise in their language referring to the Trinity. It talks about God creating the heavens and the earth. Yeah. We know from Colossians that Jesus was yep. the the creator. The, so does yep. that mean that one is wrong? Well, right. no, they're no, just not a, using language good. that is that is going to be so precise. Well, thank you, Peter. So our, our main point to all of our viewers is start reading your Bible. Amen. <laughs> start with Matthew 1 or start with Genesis 1, but start reading your Bible. Peter's written a book on interpreting the Pentateuch. That means the first five books of the Bible. Interpreting the Pentateuch by Peter, V-O-G-T. You can Google that and, and get that. You also, you have a, a podcast, and we're going to put that on the screen now. If you want to hear Peter and talk about these kinds of things, you go, the podcast is just, how do they, how do they find that? You can Google that. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever people get podcasts and search for that. Google Whole and Holy, and uh, you'll get his podcast if you want to hear deep theological talk. (laughs) So Peter, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And everybody, um, get that Bible off the shelf, put it on your table and start reading your Bible. If you need to watch this show again, go to pastorstudy.org. All of our TV shows are there to view for free. See you next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, 
two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study. P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.